It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You all right? <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. A bipartisan group of lawmakers joined U.S. officials at the Polish border today. The polls have been heroic, the tip of the spear. The scene at the border, I'm told, made the entire bipartisan U.S. delegation weep. Scenes Europe has not seen since World War II. 102,000 refugees poured into Poland today from Ukraine. 12 million Ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 remain inside the country. And they are staying there to fight. Scenes of great tragedy and great humanity amidst the horror that is unfolding inside Ukraine tonight. This Ukrainian couple had been together for 20 years, but now they've decided to get married. Instead of a wedding dress and tuxedo, they wore military fatigues and exchanged their vows in front of other members of Ukraine's new civil defense force, civilians who had been businessmen, teachers, and doctors before the invasion. President Zelensky has made an emotional appeal for NATO and the U.S. military to establish a no-fly zone and suggested that he would like MiG fighter jets that Poland has, along with more armed drones from NATO ally Turkey. Also on his wish list, a version of a Patriot missile system, a Russian-made S-300. Four NATO allies have exportable versions available, Croatia, Romania, Slovakia, and Bulgaria. In terms of a no-fly zone, NATO would need to establish that no-fly zone over 230 30,000 square miles if they wanted to cover all of Ukraine. Those NATO warplanes won't stop a ballistic or cruise missile launched from Belarus or Russia without expanding the conflict. Then there's the issue of NATO warplanes being shot down. U.S. Air Force fighter pilot Colonel Scott O'Grady was famously shot down enforcing a NATO no-fly zone over Bosnia in 1995. He had to hide to avoid capture for a week, and U.S. Marines eventually had to be sent in to rescue him. Tonight, outside the Russian embassy in Washington, D.C., a sign of defiance. The part of Wisconsin Avenue in front of the embassy has been renamed President Zelensky Way. The problem, Trey, is there are few Russian diplomats left at the embassy to see it. All right. That was Jennifer Griffin on Fox. And, of course, there is so much news coming out of Ukraine and the conflict between them and Russia, the invasion of Russia, the brutality I know that we're not getting—there's uh, mixed reviews about how much we're getting that's accurate and not accurate. And if you're watching the news or listening to the radio, you're hearing so much. I could do every show every day on this, uh, but I'm not going to. I want to bring you other news because you're not going to hear that from other sources. But I cannot not talk about what's going on in Ukraine. I mean, the pictures that Jennifer Griffin was showing, oh my gosh, they just break your heart Men saying goodbye to their families as their wives and children and daughters are, you know, they're holding their hand up to the window and hold, you know, holding out babies. It's just, it is heartbreaking. And it is so hard to watch us do nothing 
virtually nothing. And I know now they're talking about, yeah, we can't go in, we can't establish a no-fly zone because that would put NATO pilots in direct conflict with Russian pilots and that would escalate to World War III. Uh, And they give us all the reasons. There are a lot of reasons why we just can't help. We just can't bother to help these people. We just can't do it. Uh, But I would just like to point out that the reason why we are in this mess is because we have leadership that is weak, 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 and really enemies of this country, stripping the military of its forces, of its strong-minded people, making people leave because they refuse to get vaccinations, which have proven to be very deadly in some cases and injurious in other cases and not a small amount, forcing them, doing litmus tests on thinking, uh, whether soldiers or airmen are, you know, have the right thinking, and then they should be released or uh, mustered out if they don't have the correct thinking. Remember that? That's by the Pentagon chief. Um, so this is th- this is the mess we're in. Plus, reducing our capabilities, uh, getting rid of our oil reserves, <laughs> refusing to pump any oil or any energy, or allow us to frack, uh, bringing in Russian oil, uh, you know, importing that. Uh, so that we are dependent on Russia, and we are funding what they're doing to Ukraine and not building up our nuclear forces. Do you remember how President Trump had built up our military uh, in amazing ways? Uh, I, I, you know, itemize it. I couldn't itemize all of it, but just he was in the process of beefing it up in smart ways. Uh, and so that's why America, as the leader of the free world, and we have been that since I have been living here, since my birth, We have been the leader of the free world, and this is what the old America would do. The old America would not say, oh, that's not our fight. We can't get involved. The old America would pick up the red phone and say to Vladimir Putin, you better not do this, because if you do this, we will punish you so severely and so swiftly that you'll never get a tank across the border. That's what the old America would do. We've done it so many times. We've interceded. Yes, we fought some unpopular wars. We went into Vietnam, and that was very unpopular. But the general idea of going to Vietnam was to stop the Red Chinese from invading North Vietnam and taking them over and make, turning them into a communist country. Because we understood how horrible communism is. Is anyone out there beginning to understand how horrible communism is since we're seeing them implemented here in this country? The lack of freedom. When you see the Ukrainian people fighting as hard as they are, do you think there's a reason for that? Because they lived under communism for 60 years. So I'm just saying, uh, I don't look, I'm not in favor right now, honestly, of us going in and fighting because I fear the leadership. I have no trust. I don't want our soldiers to be lambs to the slaughter because they are being led by, I can't say the word. Yeah, I can't. I just that that bothers me. I don't trust them. What is the matter with us for permitting this to happen in our country? And so, um, uh, I want to talk a little bit more. I want to give you some other things. Now, do you think I'm? Uh, we got Ukraine. We, we're not. You know, Zelensky is just incredible. He's incredible. He did a like a a video presentation in many European capitals over the weekend, like the big, huge screen where he's talking. I guess he's talking—I didn't get to hear what he said, actually. But I think he's talking to Ukrainians who, by the way, I think something like 150,000 Ukrainian men have gone to Ukraine, back to Ukraine, and are trying to get in to fight for their country. Uh, So there are patriots 
and there are heroes in this story, uh, but for the most part, they're not on our shores. And meanwhile, we're being led by, you know, President Joe Biden. And if you are still confused and think that you're in good hands, let's just listen. Just a short clip of how he described what's going on right now in Ukraine. Clip two. How do we get to the place where, you know, Putin decides he's going to just invade Russia? Nothing like this has happened since World War II. How did we get to the place where Putin is, uh, you know, going to invade Russia? Well, in case some of you didn't catch that, you know, Putin is the president of Russia. He's he's the guy who runs Russia, so he's not invading his own country. But that's who's leading us. And then we have, uh, on the Republican side, we have, uh, for instance, just for instance, Senator Lindsey Graham, who spoke up. Brilliant comment. Brilliant for a senator who is, you know, a senior senator uh, of the Republicans to stand uh, on television and to say this, clip eight. Yeah, the Russian people are not our enemy. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm convinced it's a one-man problem surrounded by a few people. So at the end of the day, Brian, how does this end? Uh, we're not going in on the ground of the Ukraine. You know, if he attacks a NATO nation, we'll have World War III. I don't think he'll do that. The way this will end is when he gets charged with a war crime, Putin and his cronies, and one day we, we nab him when he leaves Russia. But the best way for this to end is having Elliot Ness, a white herb in Russia, the Russian Springs, so to speak, where people rise up and take him down because if he continues to be their leader, then he's going to make you complicit with war crimes. You're a good people. You'll never have a future. Uh, you'll be isolated from the world and you'll live in abject poverty. So I'm hoping somebody in Russia will understand that he's destroying Russia and you need to take this guy out by any means uh, possible. So Okay, so <clears throat> what did I mean by setting it up the way I set it up? Senator Graham just said someone there needs to take him out. Because Vladimir Putin is a, can we not figure out that he has the ego the size of, you know, Houston spreading like Dallas, as they used to say? He's got a huge ego. This is a battle of ego. And maybe the un unmen men in our Congress can't remember what that's like. But you don't bait him like that. A senior citizen, a senior citizen, he's probably that too, a senior senator in the U.S. Congress doesn't say someone in the country needs to take him out. That to me is just foolish, just foolish. You don't say it. You know, certainly many of us think it, and I think the Russian people are thinking that. They're actually pulling their support. I've seen, uh, they, there was like a hundred and, a couple of hundred uh, members of the Russian Orthodox Church, priests, uh, who are saying get out of the battle, and, and there are other, all kinds of people kind of walking off the job. So the Russians get it, they get it, but they don't need Lindsey Graham telling them publicly that someone should take out Vladimir Putin. That's like red meat uh, to Putin. You think he's going to back? You've got to make ways for him to back down, not ways for him to prove his manhood. I mean, it's just such a disconnect. And then we have, uh, just to show you how ridiculous, ridiculous Western leaders have become. This is just, it's unbelievable. This is Richard Moore. He's the British chief of MI6. The British chief of MI6. This is what he tweeted. Are you ready? With the tragedy and destruction unfolding so distressingly in Ukraine, we should remember the values and hard-won freedoms that distinguish us from Putin. 
none more than LGBT plus rights. So let's resume our series of tweets to mark LGBTHM 2022. That's the head of Britain's MI6. You wonder why the Western world doesn't have the manhood to go in and fight a Putin? Why we'd rather, you know, have someone go over and just kind of take him out for us? Why, like a Clinton, this reminds me of Clinton when he used to do all these drones, drone attacks, didn't have, I'm sorry, this is, I'm being, this is very rudimentary. I recognize I'm not a military person. It just seems to me that when uh, Bill Clinton was president, he loved to take people out with drones. Never just an honest fight. Just go send a, a drone to, to take people out. I know that uh, uh, Bush did that too. But there's something unseemly about that to me, where you have the technology to diserase people and not the, not the will or the character to actually fight someone. I don't know. I just um, Something is not right here in the West, and it's not right all over the Western world. And then I want to get to, oh boy, I have time here. Uh, let me just say this morning that oil is now at $130 a barrel. I think it's gone up actually this morning since this came out last night. Um, so that's terrible. I just want you to know that that's, a, that's hugely concerning for all of us. I've heard estimates that it may go up to $7. And for those of you who have to drive trucks and, and be out and work and just get your kids to school, and you've already been hit uh, by the wave of COVID layoffs, the, the economy, the slowdown of everything, my heart just breaks. And just, um, this is not a comfort, but you must understand that the uh, communist wing of our country, which is led by the Democrats and Joe Biden, and it is that, trust me, it is that, one of the main goals of communism is to destroy the middle class. Why, you say? Aren't they, aren't they for you? They say they are, but they aren't. The regulations, the rules, the gasoline prices, they want to destroy the middle class because it's you. You're the ones that fight back. The rich don't fight back. The poor can't fight back. It's the middle class that continues to exercise free thought and have faith and give to churches and give to charities and give to opposition parties. That's what what Marx wanted to destroy, the middle class. He understood that. And so keep in mind, but don't give up. Don't give up. We are not done yet. I'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. This February, you can share heartbeats for the preborn. The Ministry of Preborn's mission is to rescue preborn babies. You see, every heartbeat proclaims our Creator's name. And when a mother considering abortion hears that heartbeat through ultrasound, the message is loud and clear. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. Preborn cries out for the preborn through heartbeats while supporting moms in crisis nationwide. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. And 80% of the time, she'll choose life for her baby. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. 
The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello Americans, I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. No matter your career goals, you want to find a university that provides excellent academics and state-of-the-art facilities at a price you can afford. At Liberty University, they believe a quality Christian education should be available to everyone. That's why they've frozen their tuition rates through the 2021-2022 academic year and offer multiple scholarships, like the Middle America Scholarship, to bring that price point even lower. Learn more by texting STARNS to the number 49596. There's been no lack of courageous and inspirational stories coming from Ukraine. Celebrities and athletes, regular Joes, setting aside their careers, their lives to fight for their country. Life put on hold. Yorena and Savatsalov were scheduled to be married in May. The bride, just 21, the groom, 24. But they decided to forego their lavish spring wedding once war broke out. The young couple met with their parents and announced their intentions to marry right away so they could join the fight to stop the Russian invaders. They were married at a monastery, and just a few hours later, the newlyweds joined the military. Urena traded her wedding dress for camo and a gun. She grew up in Kiev, told a reporter she'll do whatever it takes to protect her city. And one day, the Ukrainian newlyweds hoped to enjoy that honeymoon, once forsaken, in a free and prosperous and liberated nation. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The Ukrainian ambassador has said the only way to really hit Putin where it hurts is to go after his oil and gas sector. And some senators agree, Republican and Democrat. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin, for example, mentioned that the U.S. is still currently buying approximately 600,000 barrels of, of crude and uh, other petroleum products every single day. Is that on the table? Is that something that the administration would continue, would consider in terms of further sanctions, cutting off the oil and gas uh, part of the economy for Russia? Well, as you know, that on this issue, for example, we applaud Germany in terms of what it has done as it relates to Nord Stream 2, as it relates to what we need to do domestically as well as, as what we need to do in terms of this issue generally. We have, as the President said, uh, reevaluated what we're doing in terms of the strategic oil reserve here in the United States to make sure that it will not have an impact or we can mitigate the impact on the American consumer. Uh, but let's, let's take this one step at a time. 
time understanding that right now on the issue of energy, our allies have stood firm and unified in a way that many of the pundits didn't predict would happen um, to ensure that we are, we are unified in our approach to this issue. Did anybody hear an answer in that? That was Vice President Kamala Harris. So are we going to continue to buy, you know, hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil from Russia each day, funding their war effort, making us dependent on them? Are we are we going to be, you know, developing any of our own energy? Um, our partners have shown that they are quite united on this, and we are, we you know, we're making sure. It was not an answer. In case you thought you heard an answer and you didn't quite get the answer, there was no answer. And uh, you also need to know that the House Democrats just blocked a bill to approve the Keystone XL pipeline. Again, it's the first thing that Biden did. I think he stopped the pipeline, Keystone pipeline. I think I think his first that was one of his first things that he signed. Stop it! Stop that production of oil! Stop it! Hey, I mean, we can't have that. Oh no, we can't have that. Stop the fracking. Stop the energy exploration. Stop licensing. Nothing, and started importing. Russian oil. Well, that was a great idea, wasn't it? That was just a great idea. And you probably noticed at the pump almost everywhere in the United States, I think regular is up to $4, something like that, $4 a gallon, $4 average. Yeah, and they're predicting it'll go up to $7. And that's, you know, that was smart, wasn't it? Because uh, because it was, uh, was smart, wasn't it? Uh, well, you know what? It's funny to me. ABC, Jonathan Carl, uh, actually actually kind of agrees with me. Maybe maybe it's not so smart. Uh, why are they doing this? Let's listen to Jonathan Carl, ABC Clip 15. Back to the key issue here, which is the question of the of, of banning the import of oil and gas from, from Russia. You know, it is not insignificant. Uh, we actually take in more petroleum from Russia than we do from Saudi Arabia. Uh, so, so the ban will result in, and, and it also obviously affects the world supply as well. So you'll see oil go from not $100 a barrel to 150 maybe $200 a barrel. But it's extraordinary, George, for all of the, uh, the sanctions that have been imposed, and they have been unprecedented uh, on, on Russia, to sanction everything but the thing that drives their economy. Hey, so John McCain, uh, is, you know, John McCain used to say that, that um, Russia was a gas station masquerading as a country. And it was a great line. That's all they have. Yeah, that's all they have. But we, we're not going to sanction that. And we're going to continue to import it. So, um, okay, so here's what they're doing, and I have to do another show on this because uh, this needs attention. I doubt you've heard much about what's happening with our negotiations with Iran. Let's just say we're giving away the store. We're making it possible for Iran to now start developing again their own oil fields and export and <laughs> developing nuclear weapons. We're paying them tons of money. It's like, you know, it's the Obama 2.0. It's amazing. It's just wonderful. You know, since Biden has become president, a lot of the great things that have happened. You know, I don't mean that. Uh, and so um, so what's the speculation here is that when, if we cut Russia off, then they will form an alliance with China, which they already have formed an alliance with China. Uh, China stepped in to let them start using their credit cards, their form of credit since the uh, American credit card companies have cut off Russia. Um, and uh, we'll start buying our oil from Iran and Venezuela. Also Ch by Chavez, Ch not Chavez, but uh, Maduro. And the only explanation or the only solution, it seems to many people, and I am of this same persuasion, 
I think Biden has to be impeached. I think Biden has to be impeached. So does Kamala. We have to do something. Our leaders have to do something. And I I can't expand on that in this moment, but I want to tell you a few more things about oil. Uh, Oh, Pierre Trudeau. Uh, Pierre. Justin Trudeau. Justin Trudeau is a... he, he wants to ban Russian oil. He made a very strong statement. Today we are announcing our intention to ban all imports of crude oil from Russia, an industry that has benefited President Putin and his oligarchs greatly. He said he was very proud of that. Except the problem is the Canada hasn't imported Russian crude oil in years. Uh, so I just thought I'd share that little tidbit. See, that the ridiculousness of the Western leaders just continues. So I want to go back to another day at another time when Donald Trump was president of the United States, and he was speaking to the U.N. And as you hear him speaking, you see the flash of the various delegations in the U.N., and especially to the German delegation. Let's listen to what President Donald Trump at the time had to say to the U.N., Reliance on a single foreign supplier can leave a nation vulnerable to extortion and intimidation. That is why we congratulate European states such as Poland for leading the construction of a Baltic pipeline so that nations are not dependent on Russia to meet their energy needs. Germany will become totally dependent on Russian energy if it does not immediately change course. Here in the Western Hemisphere, we are committed to maintaining our independence from the encroachment of expansionist foreign powers. So President Trump is telling the people at the UN, the delegates, that it's not a good idea. Uh, to depend on a foreign government, especially a hostile government, for your oil. You shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. that. That's not a good thing, Germany especially. So what did the German delegation do when the camera panned to them? They snickered and laughed at President Trump. So Germany now completely depends on Russia for for their soy savoir. That means like, you have to understand, you know, Germany and these other European countries are very small. It's like a, a state of the union. They really do depend for their heating, their cooling, their petrol, all of this stuff uh, on a source of energy from not their country. They don't produce it. At least if they do, I, it's minimal. And so um, that was actually a pretty smart suggestion from President Donald Trump. But the Germans, they thought that was funny. And it hasn't, what was it, uh, four years ago, maybe? The other thing that really strikes me about that is remember, remember, if if you will, that President Trump was a puppet of Vladimir Putin. He did Russia's bidding, right? He was colluding with the Russians. That's what they kept telling us. And they actually believed it. And yet President Trump is at the UN trying to tell them, don't rely on the Russians for your oil. That's a mistake. He must have gone off script, because I'm sure he didn't mean that. I'm, I'm sure he meant, maybe he, maybe behind the scenes, he was whispering to the Germans that they should rely on Russia. That's probably what it was. Yeah, this is just so twisted, uh, but that's what happened. And I want to share with you something a little bit lengthy now, because I think it's important. And it'll be discouraging to you. 
I can just tell you that right up hand, right up front. This is from the the guy, the writer known as Sundance, who is a national security expert. I read a lot of his stuff and use it often. And I think he, I don't know that every single thing he says, every every single perspective he has, is the, the right one because I don't have enough knowledge myself about the national security apparatus to say that. But a lot of things he says are just spot on, and he's spot on on this. So let me read it to you. <clears throat> Poroshenko was the former president of Ukraine. I actually have a clip of him talking. He's he's uh, in in the middle of the battle now. You probably seen him on Fox uh, with his gun. Um, he's quite striking. You know, he's you know standing there with his gun and he's very um, in command. Um, but he was um, he was defeated by Zelensky because Zelensky was uh, really liked Trump. Do you remember that? Zelensky was more of a Let's do things honestly, kind of person. There's a lot of corruption in Ukraine, uh, so uh, so keep that in mind as I uh, kind of read this to you. Um, as president, it was Poroshenko. It was his corrupt government who were supported by Senator John McCain, Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator Amy Klobuchar, and former U.S. Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, and the D.C. politicians who supported Joe and Hunter Biden using Ukraine for financial profit. You do remember, don't you, that uh, Hunter Biden, part of, part of the scandal, just a little piece of the scandal, was that he was, uh, he was being paid money hand over fist by a Ukrainian energy company called Burisma. And it was very, very corrupt. And President Trump, they tried to impeach him, they did impeach him, over a conversation he had with, President Zelensky asking him to look into this Burisma corruption. And the Democrats went crazy because there was there was a lot of there there. And so they accused President Trump of threatening Zelensky, which he did not on the call. If you listen to it, you know it's not true, but of course truth doesn't have much uh doesn't matter too much in Washington in these days. And so, ironically, it was Joe Biden who uh, went to, a, I think, a meeting of the Council of Foreign Relations, and he's on tape when he was vice president under Barack Obama threatening Ukraine because there was a, an investigator at the time who was getting ready to look into Burisma and Hunter's involvement in that. So Joe Biden says in this meeting— with the Council on Foreign Relations, he brags about how he told the Ukrainian president, I think it was probably Poroshenko at the time, that if they didn't fire that prosecutor, he was going to withhold the aid. And he used very colorful, salty, vulgar language. He was laughing at how powerful he had been uh, to force that uh, prosecutor to be fired. But, of course, there was no impeachment of Joe Biden no shadow cast over him and his son Hunter for their millions and yet probably billions that they've made on Ukraine. But I digress a lot. Let me go back. Under Poroshenko, Ukraine maintained its status as the number one donor to the Clinton Foundation. It was this corrupt influence system that led to frustrated citizens selecting current President Zelensky with his promise of reforms. Senators and D.C. officials from both parties participated in the Ukraine influence process. Part of those influence priorities was and is exploiting the financial opportunities within Ukraine while simultaneously protecting the background activity of Joe Biden and his family. 
This is where Senator John McCain and Senator Lindsey Graham were working with Marie Yovanovitch. You might remember Marie Yovanovitch, George Kent, and U.S. charge d'affaires to Ukraine Bill Taylor testifying against President Trump in the ridiculous impeachment effort surrounding Ukraine. It was former Ukraine Ambassador Bill Taylor who engaged in carefully planned text messages with EU Ambassador Gordon Sondland to set up a narrative helpful to the impeachment plan and Adam Schiff's political coup effort. Bill Taylor, former Ukraine ambassador, U.S. ambassador, was formerly U.S. ambassador to Ukraine and later helped the Obama administration to design the laundry operation providing taxpayer financing to Ukraine in exchange for back-channel payments to U.S. politicians and their families. In November 2019, Rudy Giuliani released a letter he sent to Senator Lindsey Graham outlining how Bill Taylor blocked visas for Ukrainian whistleblowers who were willing to testify to the corrupt financial schemes. However, unfortunately, Senator Lindsey Graham, along with dozens of U.S. senators currently serving, were likely recipients for money through the aforementioned laundry process, and the visas never got approved. As everyone is aware, U.S. senators write foreign aid policy, rules, and regulations, thereby creating the financing mechanisms to transmit U.S. funds. Those same senators then receive a portion of the laundered back funds through their various institutes and business connections to the foreign government offices, in this example, Ukraine. The U.S. State Department serves as a distribution and collection network for the authorization of the money laundering by granting conflict waivers, approvals for financing, think of the Clinton Global Initiative, and permission slips for the payment of foreign money. The officials within the State Department take a cut of the overall payments through a system of indulgence fees, that's a nickname, uh, junkets, gifts, codels, and expense payments to their family members who hold political oversight. And if anyone gets too close to revealing the process, they become a target of the entire apparatus. President Trump was considered an existential threat to this process, hence his political status as an outsider essentially ended with a soft coup. And then it goes on to talk about Senate Majority Leader McConnell, now, now oh, uh, formerly Mitch McConnell, now Schumer, holds the power over these members and the members of the Senate Intel Committee because the leader decides who sits on that committee. And he talks about bribes, lobbying funds. He says the Clinton Global Initiative or the McCain Institute are two of the obvious examples of the financing network. And this is an open secret of affluence and influence is how the intelligence apparatus gains such power. All right, so there's tons more in that. It's uh, We'll put this on our uh, Getter page. It's Sunday Talks. Petro Poroshenko outlines the importance of American payments to Ukraine politicians. That is how bad it is. That is how bad it is. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Hello, I'm Gary Roby, host of Call to Worship, heard each Sunday on American Family Radio. This one-hour program will lead you in a special time of worship and praise. We will focus on God's Word, spoken, and in music. Call to Worship has a different topic each week as we glorify God together. Be sure to join us at 5 a.m. Central each Sunday for a Call to Worship right here on American Family Radio. God sent a message to his people through Daniel in one of the strangest ways you can imagine. He gave a dream to a pagan king 
And in that dream, he unfolded the future of the world. Join Dr. David Jeremiah for his series, Signs, next time on Turning Point. 5.30 a.m. and 7 p.m. Central on American Family Radio. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. These words were shared between Cleopas and his companion on the seven-mile walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus as Jesus, in resurrected form, used the Hebrew scriptures to reveal himself to them as the Messiah. There are at least 109 distinct biblical prophecies the Messiah had to fulfill. The mathematical probability of such a feat occurring is astoundingly absurd, yet that absurdity is satisfied in Jesus, the Messiah. Come, let us adore Him. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner. For more, from Abraham Hamilton III, Public Policy Analyst for the American Family Association. Paul writes, when one part of the body suffers, we suffer together. This is Bible League International, and here's a very startling statistic. Every five minutes outside of America, a Christian is killed simply because they believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let me give you some perspective. By the end of the average hour-long worship service in America on a Sunday, 12 Christians will die, again, simply because of their faith. Now listen, persecution is arguably the top issue facing the global church today. I'm not saying that death is affiliated with everything every case of persecution, but at Bible League, we know Christians who are singled out, targeted, monitored, threatened with death, even killed simply because of their faith. Listen, we can do something about it by sending exactly what they're praying for to persevere and endure, and that's God's Word at $5 a Bible, $100 sends 20 Would you pray about it and then make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD, 800-Y-E-S-W-O-R-D, or give at SendBiblesNow.org, SendBiblesNow.org, and God bless you for caring. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Tomorrow, yet another vital nation may be lost if the people of South Korea decide to elect a pro-North Korea, anti-America communist as their next president. Or alternatively, if despite the majority's preference for his pro-freedom conservative opponent, this election, like the parliamentary ones of 2020, winds up fraudulently giving victory to the radical left. Either way, the outcome would be a further blow to America's strategic position in the world and boon to communist China's. Coming on the heels of the loss of Peru, Afghanistan, Chile and Ukraine in the past year, and the prospect that U.S. allies may be voted out in Colombia and Brazil in the next few months, our enemies will surely be further emboldened and our remaining friends destabilized. A generation ago, the question was, who lost China? Today, it will be, who lost the free world? This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. We can end the shutdown of schools and businesses. We have the tools we need. It's time for America to get back to work and fill our great downtowns again with people. People working from home can feel safe and begin to return to their offices. We're doing that here in the federal government. The vast majority of federal workers will once again work in person. Our schools are open. Let's keep it that way. Our kids need to be in school. Yes. Okay. So that was a 
President Joe Biden at the State of the Union. Uh, well, thank goodness, really. Really, aren't you glad? I mean, aren't we grateful to President Joe Biden for finally lifting all of that, you know, telling us that we're free now? Kids need to be back in school. They shouldn't have to wear masks. Uh, we, we need to end this nonsense. It's enough. People have had enough. Uh, so, so I guess the Senate actually thought he meant it, and they passed a bill uh, which was uh, driven in large part by Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas, who's a doctor. Uh, he's been speaking out quite a bit, and thank goodness for that. Uh, so they uh, passed a resolution, 48 to 47, on a party-line vote. And it's uh, with Senate Resolution 38, which would end the national emergency declared by first by President Donald Trump and extended twice by President Joe Biden. It, just get over that. You know, it's like we need to get back to normal. We need to drop all of this. And uh, before the vote, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer urged the senators to vote no. He argued it's not the right time. No, we can't do that. Uh, but uh, but Joe Biden, you heard him in the speech. He says it's time to get back. See, I think there's some polling going on that shows that people are kind of fed up with this. And as a matter of fact, you know, the night that um, the night that he gave delivered his address, suddenly, suddenly, it was just a miracle. I think uh, Ted Cruz called it the uh, the the State of the Union miracle, where suddenly no one in Congress had to be masked. That, that just happened because the day before Joe Biden was like wearing a double mask somewhere, and they have a picture of him, but suddenly things changed, and we think we know what things changed. But let me take this a little bit further because as Biden was, you know, talking about how miserable the American people are and how tired they are and we need to get beyond this, well, I'm not sure he really was sincere because now he's threatening to veto that Senate vote to end the COVID national emergency. He's, you know, it's just, I, you know, I just don't, he said it would be reckless and a costly mistake to end the emergency. We can end the shutdown. Well, the, well you, I'm not going to read that because that's what he said in the, the address. But also then we got Nancy Pelosi in the House who was not masked. Just see how she, she was so excited at that State of the Union address. I just thought she was going to just, giggle herself right off the platform. And I think, you know, there were marching orders for the Democrats to just be so enthused. And they did. If you saw, you know, the camera pan, they were just all clapping and smiling. And yeah, and she was leading it because she was the cheerleader. Okay, so it was interesting to me that someone asked her about restrictions in the House. Uh, What's up with that? Interesting exchange. Clip nine. Let's listen. No, the that that's up to the uh, capital physician. That that we take all of our guidance from there, including opening the house. I think you'll see an unfolding now of the uh, capital opening. It's it's about COVID, and it's about security. Mostly, it's about COVID though, and uh, so that will be up to the sergeants at arms, and it will be up to the capital physician, and we just take our guidance from them. I mean. We were very fortunate that they came to the conclusion that all members could participate uh, in, in the State of the Union address, but it was up to them. We, we could not make that call. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, um, the, it, you know what? <clears throat> we shut down the Capitol because uh, the Capitol physician told us to, and we have to do what he says. We had, And he's the one who decided. It's out of my hands. I just... I have nothing to do about, you know, masking all the members of Congress. And 
I have got he's the capital physician, and we you know we just take our guidance from him and the the sergeant of arms. Oh, really? Okay, if you believe that, well, let's see. There's that bridge, you know. So uh, that's what Nancy's saying. I had nothing to do with, you know, I, I don't. But, of course, it's just very conveniently, very political. There's a, um, there's a prim- there are primaries coming up all over the country. This is an election year, and they're not stupid when it comes to polls. And I have so much to say about that. I hope I get to it. But I want to finish one thought with you before I go to the next thought, <clears throat> and that is that this battle about defunding is still being waged. Now, that's a nice thing that the that uh, Senator Roger Marshall did. Uh, but I would just tell you right now, it's it's a really worthless endeavor. I'm glad he did it. I'm glad he did it. If Republican senators are not using that as a cover for doing nothing, because see, what they actually have to do is refuse to fund the mandates in this pay, uh, bill, the next spending bill, which ha- the date is, the deadline is March the 11th. And so you we have Chip Roy and Mike Lee, of fighting, 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 fighting. And they wrote this letter, Dear Leaders McCarthy and McConnell, while President Biden announced at the State of the Union that COVID-19 need no longer control our lives, thousands of Americans across the nation are still without work or facing termination for choosing not to accept mandatory vaccination. This is wrong. At least with respect to the CMS mandates on healthcare workers, 49 Republican senators voted this week to disapprove of the administration's actions, but so far, Congress has not leveraged the full power of the purse to end the COVID-19 vaccine mandates that continue to harm tens of thousands of Americans, most notably our medical workers, military personnel, and federal workers such as the Border Patrol. Congress has passed three continuing resolutions. Those are short-term spending bills, by the way. Three of them, since President Biden announced his plan to unilaterally impose COVID-19 vaccine mandates on Americans. Each of these CRs passed with Republican support. With another government funding deadline approaching March the 11th, we urge you to take every step possible to defund these mandates once and for all. To break this down more clearly, I hope, than I've been uh, in in the Senate, they passed the resolution to stop the national emergency by one vote. Republicans 48 to Democrats 47. Of course, there were two Republicans missing, and there were three Democrats missing. So I think, you know, the games that are played there, they knew that when it went to the House, Nancy Pelosi's not going to pass that. So it's a good thing they voted, but it's not enough because it's meaningless, and they knew it was meaningless. It was a statement of unity on it, I hope, or it was a game. And so... I actually, because I'm cynical and because I've been there too long, can tell you uh, for many it was genuine, for others it was a game. And so I want to bring to your attention again, America's Limited Government is uh, running a campaign, which I told you about Thursday. And I want to repeat again, uh, this afternoon he writes, and this was last week, the Senate GOP forced another show vote against the vaccine mandate, which they know could, could not pass into law. Uh, and he said, uh, his, uh, the bottom line is, tell the GOP to stop playing games and defund the vaccine mandates. The only way they can have victory is to stop funding it. And they could do that. They could stop the funding of it. And so um, we're going to put this back on our Getter page. I hope that you'll go there. Tell Congress to defund the mandates. Tell them to defund the mandates. You know, I actually think the other thing... Um, 
I think I'm going to amend what I just told you to do. Um, I think probably be a good idea to go to Align Act, A-L-I-G-N-A-C-T, Align Act. There are two campaigns, but I think on the Align Act, we already have over 20, I don't know, it was 22 million last I looked. Uh, it would be good for you to go to the Align Act page, and it'll be top of the page, I think, to tell your Senate to stop funding the mandate. So that's probably the better choice this morning. And so uh, that battle continues. Maybe we'll have Chip Roy on tomorrow to tell us a little bit more about it. Uh, but I just want you to be aware of that. And that's just hold their feet to the fire. They have to do something real and not try to act like they think you're stupid, which is what they do all the time because it's worked so well for them for so long. Um, all right, so I want to go back to uh, the State of the Union address because you will remember that there was a moment, I think there was more of this than we actually heard, but this one little clip I'll play, this is Lauren Boebert uh, responding to Joe Biden when he was talking about some something about the American troops. I don't know his exact, exact statement, but Congressman Boebert had had it. This is clip 11. Let's listen. Headaches, numbness, dizziness, a cancer that would put them in a flag-draped coffin. I know. One of those, one of those soldiers. Yeah, she's talking about the soldiers killed in Afghanistan. I guess he's, he's feigning, you know, all his compassion for American soldiers, which he showed none of when they withdrew from Afghanistan. None. Put, them, put our military in a terrible position. Of course, you can't, you can't say it was just him, it was Lloyd Austin, but he is president and he's the commander-in-chief. And so... Uh, that's why uh, Congresswoman Boebert shouted out. And I think uh, uh, Congresswoman Taylor Greene also shouted out, but we couldn't hear her. I saw her on tape. I saw her uh, her voice moving, uh, but I don't know what she said. So Nancy Pelosi was asked about this in a press conference, and I just want you to hear her response uh, to, to the question, clip 10. Let me just say this. I agree with what Senator Lindsey Graham said. Shut up. That's what he said to them. I think they should just shut up. Thank you all very much. Okay. And the press thought that was funny. So, so uh, Congresswoman Boebert and the others should just shut up. That's her, that's her goal. And she agrees with Lindsey Graham, who said that they should just shut up. And I couldn't help but think, well, you know, I'm thinking maybe Lindsey Graham should mind his own advice when he's advising Russians publicly, he's advising Russians that on a clip that went around the world that someone in Russia should kill Vladimir Putin. He's encouraged them. A sitting senator is waving a red flag in front of an irrational bull and saying someone should just kill him. I'm thinking Lindsey Graham should take his own advice and just shut up. So uh, the irony of it. Oh, the irony. All right. So last week, uh, back on COVID, you remember, I don't even think I played this, but you've probably seen it in the news. Uh, Governor Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis was at the University of South Florida. Uh, interact, he was getting ready to do a press conference. and There was a bunch of students standing behind him with masks on. And this is how it went down. Clip six. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is, a, this is ridiculous. All right, well, it's good to be at USF. we got to stop with this COVID theater. You need to stop that. You need to stop it. Now, if you want to wear it, that's fine, but you, this is just theater. 
you got to stop wearing those masks. So one of the mothers, there was a black, I don't know if there's one, I, I remember one, I, there's probably more, but I don't remember the lineup, a black student standing there who took who took off his mask. Well, his mother made a statement yesterday, which actually I think this is funny, because she's all upset, because she said that uh, Governor DeSantis has interfered with her parental rights. So just listen to it as it plays out. Clip five, let's listen Latosha Brown of Black Voters. I'm responsible for him, and I told him to wear that mask. And Governor DeSantis, and he's looking at this adult authority and, and he's telling him, oh, you don't have to wear the mask. What was your reaction when you heard the governor tell you and your classmates, remove your masks? Um, a bit of surprise and shock, more of, okay, this authority, author, this authority figure is asking me to do something that I know is probably going to end up being controversial. So. I took mine off. Did you feel pressure by the governor to do that? Mm, um, a little. It was more of a pressure of an adult figure asking me to do something, and it's just like, all right, why not? It, it, it's just shocking that the governor told these kids, take off your mask. It, it, he pretty much said, take off your mask, is stupid. And take off your mask, your parents don't matter. Even though I'm, I'm telling you, parents matter. And he's telling my minor child to take off his mask. He's putting us at risk. So, oh, oh yeah, to- I was upset, very upset. Yeah, so, the, but the funny part is she's standing next to her son. Her son is asked if he felt pressured. Um, well, um, um, well, well, what do you find to say? Sort of, you know, and she, but she's furious. But, you know, you see what's going on there. It's, um. Boy, that kid, I bet he got an earful when they walked away from the camera because he didn't respond like his mother was hoping. And I'm sure she they had it all planned. So I don't think that went so well for Latasha Brown of Black Voters. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking her son is probably at least 18. And so it's not really, uh, at this point, a matter of parental rights as it would be. And she's probably alluding to Ron DeSantis saying parents have a right over their children in school. But he's talking about kids under 18 because when you're 18... That doesn't apply anymore, according to the law. Well, all right, that's enough for today. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.